And as an indigenous person, I one of my goals is to bring the positive aspects of my culture into Western cultures so that trans women and trans people are um, are portrayed more positively in their communities. Young and Indigenous Podcast is an outlet for people to know about Indigenous knowledge, storytelling, and history. Through our youthful journeys as Indigenous people, through these stories, young people and elders share their experiences with us. Without them, we wouldn't be able to do this. I'm about to tell some red stories. Stay tuned. <laughs> Yay, Podcast! My name is Bella, and I come from Lilame Nation, and I've been part of this podcast um, since we started it in 2019, and the Young and Indigenous podcast is about Indigenous knowledge, storytelling, and history, so it's for people to just learn, and or it's just an outlet to learn about, you know, Indigenous people and who we are and where we come from. And um, hello, my name is Haley Garrow. Um, I'm also come from the Lummi Nation, and I'm also First Nations Huwaiit from Vancouver Island. Um, I've been a part of the podcast team for a little over a year now. Still kind of finding my footing in it, still getting comfortable interviewing and everything. Um, but we're so excited to have you here today. Yeah, I'm Roy. Um, I've been working here for like a year now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm from Nooksack, sorry. I'm from Nooksack, uh, Bellingham, Washington. Yeah. Um, the way we found you was me and Roy were at the Toronto International Film Festival, and we were there for the opening night of Next Goal Wins because um, we have uh, our own small little film festival that we do here at our company called Treaty Day Film Festival in remembrance of um, our treaty signing. And that's how we connected with you. Yeah. <laughs> We ended up seeing your film and we were just like really inspired. And as soon as the film ended, I looked at Haley and I was like, we need to get her on the podcast. I was like, girl, boss, we have to meet her. We have to talk to her. Like this has to happen. <laughs> we manifested it. Yeah, and now we're here. <laughs> now we're here. Now we're here. <laughs> yeah, uh, we start out uh, with um, just letting you introduce yourself by saying who you are and where you come from. Okay. Um, Talo for everyone. My name is Jaya Tawasui Simia Matiba Sanduva. Um, born and raised here on the beautiful island of American Samoa. I'm indigenous to the Pacific region, specifically the um, Samoan Islands. Um, I have this pretty cool platform that was created in 2011 when FIFA uh, recognized me as the first out transgender woman to play in the FIFA sanctioned tournament. Um, the platform was amplified by um, the documentary called Next Go Wins, which has um, been made into a full-length feature film by Oscar-winning uh, director of Pacific Descent as well, um, Taika Waititi, uh, which is set to release on November 17th. So, yeah, thank you for having me. Of course. Well, we're glad to have you. <laughs> <laughs> so exciting. <laughs> All right. Uh, we would love to hear about your home country, Samoa, and what you love most about your culture. Okay. Um, 
So um, the Samoan culture is um, is many things, but the foundation of the culture is respect. Um, and uh, a lot of the, our, um, our nature, the way of life of the Samoan people and a lot of the um, uh, people in the Pacific region in general, um, the foundation of our cultures is respect. And that includes respect for uh, Fafafine. I myself is uh, I identify as a Samoan Fafafine before I identify as a transgender woman, um, uh, mainly because I have a place in my culture and in my community um, already set forth by uh, um, set aside by uh, our ancestors. Mm. And the beauty of it is. Um, it's we're still a recognized identity. We are still um, celebrated. We still have roles and responsibilities culturally and traditionally. I think that's one of the the biggest differences with uh, that of what Western cultures or societies would um, call transgender women uh, or transgender people. And until recently, um, transgender people. Um, haven't been portrayed in a very positive light um, since they first got um, publicized in well, what was it, the 1950s and 60s. Um, so a lot of um, their existence centered, centers around um, negative uh, connotations, and and that's completely different from my existence, my experiences growing up, and and the realities of of Fafafine, um uh, the Fafafini identity. So that's that's the significance of of, um, of my identity as a Fafafini person. And the word Fafafini is an umbrella term in itself. Um, it's it basically refers to someone who was born having uh, assigned the male uh, gender at birth, mm-hmm. but lives under whites. Uh, and uh, the reverse of of um, of that would be a fatama, which is someone who was assigned the the female gender at birth, but also lives otherwise. Oh, okay. And yeah, and the literal translation of the word is of of fafafines in the manner of a woman. So um, we understand as fafafine that we are not women, uh, um, and and it might sound controversial when um, when you look at it from an outside perspective. But in the manner of the woman suggests that we we understand and accept that we are not women. But the only reason we accept and understand that in in a beautiful way is because um, we, as Fafafine, we like I said, we have a place in our societies. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, I'm proud to be Fafafine, and I'm working on. Um, helping to so the platform that was created in 2011 and amplified by the documentary um, helped me realize that there is a need for advocacy um, for the trans identity uh, and and as an indigenous person I one of my goals is to bring the positive aspects of my culture into western cultures so that trans women and trans people are um, are portrayed more positively in their community yes very cool wow um, it's a lot of work but <laughs> <laughs> you kind of just answered my my next question I was I was about to ask what Fafafina meant to you but you just answered that very beautifully thank you yeah. um, I mean it's it's um a lot it's a lot more complex 
um, when it's simple to us because we live it, but it's complex to outside um, uh, communities and people. Um, there's this beautiful concept called the va fi loai. Uh, it's it's the contextual space between um, any two people or groups of people in Samoan culture, um, where because we have our set roles, cultural roles and traditional roles, uh, we we respect the va uh, the space between me and someone. So there is a va, a space between me and my sisters, me and my mother, where. Um, where our mannerisms change depending on who we're um, uh, interacting with, uh, and and it's pretty sacred in the Samoan culture. And and yeah, it's I think it's just beautiful that we we understand those spaces. Hmm. So you talked about finding your identity, you know, as Fafafine, and um, like within your own culture. What sort of advice would you give to Indigenous youth? who are searching for their identity and within their own cultures. Um, um, so it was more of a living experience for me rather than a finding experience. Mm, okay. uh, I grew up in a, in a community that was already very nurturing and, mm. and supportive of people like myself. So that would be my privilege as a Fafafina woman. And I understand that um, the world outside of mine is um, has changed a lot, and Western influence and and the power of colonization still has yes. an effect on yes. a lot of indigenous identities and cultures. Mm-hmm. And um, and I like to use um, the terms that um, decolonization of our minds, uh, because the youth, if anyone, the youth are always um, affected negatively because of this. Uh, so I think advice, my advice would be more for indigenous people rather than the indigenous youth who are seeking to find their, their, their places in their communities. Uh, a word of advice for, for them would be go back to your roots, go back to your, um, your traditional um, values where, where um, everyone had a place and a role. And because when I speak about Fafafine identity, um, it's not exclusive to our culture because a lot of indigenous cultures around the world have already for centuries, even before um, the white man um, started to navigate or discover the, the world. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of indigenous cultures already had roles and responsibilities and places for their respective um, third genders um, um. For, for lack of a, a a better understanding of of other cultures. Um, I think two spirit is is um, uh, specific to a lot of Native cultures, Native American, North American cultures. So um, yeah, so just a word of advice for for Indigenous peoples around the world: have more pride in your identities and in your your bloodline, even, um, and and get back to your roots where our third gender. Um, communities had places and and traditional roles and responsibilities. A beautiful answer. No, you seriously. have such an amazing way of explaining it, and it's, oh, love it. So, um, other than being a superstar advocate, um, I think you're also a superstar soccer player. Um, could you tell us a little bit about how you started your soccer journey and where you are now with it? So, um, again. 
circling back to the identity of Fafafin, and because we're nurtured in this way, all of us feel that um, we're in whatever we decide to do in our in in lives. It's it's easy for us to pursue. So um, I at eleven years old, you don't really like for me personally. I I never really had a plan for life. I mean, who does at that age? I was attending a private school in, in here in American Samoa called the South Pacific International Christian Center. And we didn't have any um, sports opportunities um, for us. It was, I mean, and that's pretty much the case for a lot of private schools um, here in American Samoa. There were things like the math competition and the science fair and speech festival. And the only com- actual competitive things that we that was would be considered kind of a sport is chess competition. <laughs> um, um, so after the 31-0 loss against Australia, um, the Football Federation wanted to approach development in a completely different way. Um, instead of trying to develop um, adult athletes, they figured the best thing they can do is develop youth. Um, start at the grassroots level, and then by the time they're adults, they're a lot better players. Um, so I was a product of that initiative. It was a team was um, offered to uh, we were offered a spot in the in the new private school league, and that year we won uh, the championship title. It was a co-ed team. So it was very appealing to me that I could play alongside my female, my, my girl um, mm-hmm. classmates or or peers. And uh, we were playing against other teams, other private schools who were both boys and girls. So because we won that t- the championship title our first year um, and I was named the island-wide MVP, um, I figured, you know, why not um, pursue or make it something that's a lifestyle rather than a hobby. Football became my life, and and by age fourteen, I was drafted to the senior national team, not the under sixteen or the under wow. twenty three or the under nineteen. That's senior amazing. national team, and I was playing with alongside like mid twenty year olds <laughs> and thirty year olds. <laughs> yeah, and that was the beginning of uh, my soccer career, and here I am. Was it scary to be playing with people so much older than you? Not really. I think. I think the biggest concern for me was playing against, you know, because I was developing at a young age, we were pretty much the same skill-wise and technically with, with my teammates. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the scary thing for me was playing against other countries who were a lot older mm-hmm. and more skilled than any of us were. Awesome. Um, I've grown I've grown to um, be a lot more confident on the pitch. And now as a, one of the senior members on the team, on the national team, after more than 20 years with the national team, I, I have a lot more confidence and I have a, a more of a leadership role in the team. 2019 was my first year as a captain. Uh, as cool. you should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the biggest problem for American Samoa is there's no real incentive to keep our seasoned athletes here in American Samoa. Um, I mean, we're, uh, we're not really a professional um, federation and and our competitions are every four years. Yeah. Um, and by that time, 
you know, some of my teammates would have already joined the military or have gone off to, um, you know, to the mainland to seek um, higher education or better opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're such an inspiring advocate for transgender rights and just creating an inclusive space in the sports world. And I know I've read I've read some of your articles <laughs> about just all the work that you're doing in, in that area. Could you talk more about the advocacy work that you're up to? Yeah, um, so advocacy in the beginning, when the platform was first created, it wasn't something that I was interested in. I, w- I had no passion to do it, no interest at all. Um, so it was kind of a responsibility that was thrown on me because I was the first out transgender to play in a FIFA sanctioned tournament. Um, I was asked to, you know, give speeches and sit on, on panels and talking about my experience and to this day I'm still learning and I still don't find it find myself as passionate about it as I am about soccer but uh, there is a need for it clearly there's you know uh, as the years went by I realized that was a a need for um, advocacy for trans trans people in general but more so trans people in sport Mm -hmm. and and I I find myself kind of caught between two worlds because yes I'm a transgender person and and I play sports and I support the um, trans people finding spaces in sport where they can express themselves Mm -hmm. um, express their passions and be themselves Um, but I'm also a trans woman who plays on the men's side so a lot of times I feel like I don't have the the right to speak on on um, that issue Mm-hmm. Because it's not real to my experience, and um, I haven't experienced, I haven't faced any backlash because of my, because of the fact that I play on the men's side. So, uh, I I'm still trying to bridge that. It's so difficult to bridge that um, the narratives, um, but um, it's a work in progress, and I have I think at the very least my visibility um, has some sort of influence in the narrative uh i mean fifa has become more inclusive of myself and of, of lgbtqi plus or zoji as we use in the Pacific region i'll get to that after they've been more inclusive and i mean they put me on the cover of the fifa magazine september 2016 issue um i've i've sat on panels that help choose the fifa diversity award annually and I was the first, more recently, I was um, one of 800 delegates to be invited by the f- president of FIFA himself to the 2023 FIFA Women's Football Convention. Uh, yeah, um, it continues to provide spaces where I feel included. And um, there's still a lot of work to be done in the IOC and the NCAA especially. Can I just touch on the Soji? Of course, yes. of course, yes. yeah. Please. Not to make it a rainbow versus Soji thing or or try to, I don't want it to shine 
that kind of light into um, on it on these on the differentiation between these two um, acronyms. Yeah. But LGBTQI, LGBTQI plus is um, the way we see it in the region, and we talked about this at, at one of the um, Ilgo conferences, uh, Oceania conferences that we had. Uh, it's very specific to L for this identity, GBTQI plus, very um, individual but put together. Um, whereas um, SOGI refers to sexual orientation, gender identity slash expressions, where it's not specific, more general, and also more inclusive of indigenous identities like my, my a lot because a lot of Fafafine don't identify as gay or as trans. And so in the rainbow spectrum, a lot of indigenous identities don't feel included in that mm. spectrum. But Soji allows all identities, including indigenous identities, to, to be included. So in the Oceania region, we, we use Soji a lot more. Oh, wow, that. that is cool. I've Thank never... you for explaining that. Yeah. Wow. No, that's so amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Next goal wins. We've talked about it. Um, we have there's the documentary. There's the Taika. Could you talk some more? Like, could you tell us about that whole entire experience? Like, how does it feel to see yourself on screen? When when Steve and Mike, Steve Jameson and Mike Brett, the creators of the documentary, filmed in 2011, cool story. The 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 essence be, or the reason behind them coming all the way from London to American Samoa was to film because they heard about the 310 loss already and mm -hmm. and so in 2011 they had the idea to come to american samoa and shoot snippets of of why american samoa as one of the worst teams in the world kept introducing teams on the international stage um that was the reason behind there you know just to and it was because we loved the game it was for the love of the game and that's what they wanted to captivate in in their um in their project uh, to take back to England and help introduce that back into into um, the English Football Association. Um, because now football becomes a lot more about business, how much you can make, what club has offers you the best, you know, um, gives you the best offer and it's all about money and things like that. And we forget about the, the grassroots level, why we started to play in the beginning is because we love the sport. And that's what it was for us. But as they were filming in 2011, they started to realize that different characters were were um, were becoming uh, visible, and like my own character, like Nikki Salapu, the goalkeeper's character, like Ramin Ott, who who left the military to play for the national team again to help us, you know, improve our standings. As they were filming, they realized that different characters were were um, showing themselves to to create that could create a very interesting documentary so that's what it became they went from filming little snippets far away from the team um having individual interviews with the team to within a day they they came back with um gear a lot more gear and they were running with us and they were you know trying to create more uh, better content for what was now going to become a documentary so yeah that was the beginning of it and um none of us knew that it was going to be um as huge a project as it turned out to be in 2014 when it when the world premiere of next goal wins was at the tribeca film festival in new york city 
uh, we had the outdoor screenings and there were about 2,000 people um, out in the cold with their coats, everyone watching there to watch the movie. Um, and then in 2016, I get an email that Taika Waititi was interested in recreating this um, our story into his old version, kind of we call it the Taika hybrid version. Um, I bet that was a crazy email to get. <laughs> <laughs> and and then um, so we agreed in 2016. Um, I'm not a film junkie, so I don't know. You know, I don't. I watch films. I love to watch films, but I don't study who you know I don't go deep into who the directors are or the actors are um so meeting with Taika in 2016 I had no idea that's the honest truth is I didn't know who he was or his caliber um um so it wasn't until 2019 when I got invited to set to help uh, I mean to to just you know as a guest I realized um how big of a project it was going to be all how many people were involved in the uh, who were crew members who were cast all the extras all the equipment um having to pause because a military helicopter was going over the soccer field you know that kind of thing and and i finally got to see hollywood in action and so i sat by taika while he was doing his thing directing the movie and i was so quiet and he he asked are you okay and uh, I turned to him, I was like, now I'm nervous. <laughs> the anxiety, so you know, because it could go both ways. It could be a flop, it could be good. And this was our story, so it was personal to me. And so I became nervous about the project. Mm-hmm. Uh, thankfully, it turned out to be um, good. <clears throat> um, could have been better, but <laughs> but but um, it it, for me, what was important that is that the essence of the documentary um, was relayed in the remake. So um, thankfully that was, um, Taika was able to do that. And and uh, I'm grateful that it was Taika because he's a specific person. And because of him, more than 90% of the cast and crew were Pacific Islanders. And so that's that's one of the beautiful things about this this remake. It's, it's by a Pacific Islander portrayed by Pacific Islanders portraying a Pacific Island story. Yeah. So yeah, celebration for us. <laughs> no big celebration. No, that's so cool. I, like, I actually so felt to be sitting in the theater, like watching this premiere and I'm like, oh my God, like this is so cool. Right. right. And it's so surreal for me to watch for the first time someone portraying me, you know, like who, who, who gets to say that? And, and from, coming from a small country, small um, one of the smaller regions too in the in the world, um, just th- these things just don't happen for us. And and I mean, American Samoa is so excited. The the region is so excited that you know one of our our stories is being portrayed on the Hollywood screen. We we see a lot of Pacific Islander um, representation. Uh, with little scenes that show a snippet of the culture, but but Next Go Wins is all about you know us and and that's that's what I love most about about this movie and you know this retelling of our story.
with like a story that was so you know personal to you what what was most important to like be shown on screen like you were there with taika on set yeah like i said for me was that the documentary the essence of the documentary was portrayed in the movie so um um a sense of our samoan culture um taking athletes back to the grassroots level where it's all about the level game and it's not always about winning it's about teamwork and camaraderie and stuff like that um and then um celebrate um a lesson of celebrating um diversity uh and um recognizing people for who they are and allowing them to have spaces where they can thrive um so those three things we get from the documentary was also um very evident in in um and next go wins the remake. Um, so that was that's what was important for me. And then also, um, secondly, um, the portrayal of the Fafafine identity, um, mm-hmm. because um, it might be a sensitive topic. Transgenderism might be a sensitive topic, um, or their portrayal of our realities is very sensitive and and a lot of Kaimana's experiences in the movie um, might not be accurate in the timeline that it was set, but very accurate in my personal experiences uh, going through hormone replacement treatment and things like and and having been called your dead name and asked even what's between your legs. Those are real experiences of trans folk and, and and including that was was also um, a nice little twist on you know making sure that audiences realize those are the kinds of negative things that that we actually go through and 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 so like portrayal of trans people and of Papafine in their respective lights was also very important to me. But the next thing I was going to ask was just. What are you up to now? I know you're still playing soccer, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I had to make a decision um, in the last um, couple of weeks um, whether to because um, the team is preparing for the national uh, for the Pacific Games. I had to choose between the Pacific Games or continuing the tour for Next Goal Wins, and I chose the latter because. Um, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity and I've already played in three different Pacific games. This, this would have been my fourth. There's going to be another one in four years. So I, I mean, it was a clear, um, very obvious decision for me to make. Um, so I'm going to continue doing promotions for the film and, and, um, helping people to understand more about my culture and the Fafafini identity as I do. So I'm going to capitalize on this opportunity. Um, but I still do play um, for the national team, and hopefully by 2027, I can still. I, I mean, I'm getting too old, and I feel it in my legs. <laughs> no. But, um, yeah, I think I can still do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what messages do you have for Indigenous youth? Be proud of, of your identity as Indigenous people. Know that ancestors, um, our ancestors, had a role and a place for you. So grow up with that confidence, knowing that um, despite having um, a lot of our communities um, having shifted on us, um, help them to realize that, 
help them to go back to their roots, be proud and confident in your identities because um, it's it's a major part of who you are and and um, it creates a platform for you to help the world become a better place. Mm. I love that. That's, cool. That's amazing. Um, is there anything else that you would like to share for? No, I just I just really appreciate spaces like this where where um, indigenous um, conversations are had between indigenous peoples and platforms like this are are introduced by, for the most part, our youth. And and so thank you. Thank you for having me on and helping me um, share in my realities and my experiences as a as a native Samoan and as a Fapapini. Of course, of yeah. course. Thank you for being on. This is actually like so surprising. Like when we called the MD, we didn't expect to get the response. <laughs> Me and Roy were just like at breakfast and I was like, we really want to try to get her, but I'm like, I can't find a contact. I'm like, I think I'm just going to do Just send it, just send it. <laughs> Hey, what up, y'all? Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Young and Indigenous. This episode was produced by Haley Garrow, Roy Alexander, Bella James, and Ellie Smith. Huge thank you to our funders, the Discurrent Foundation, the Inatai Foundation, and the Wacom Community Foundation. Original music in this episode was done by Roy Alexander, Keith Jefferson, and Mark Nichols. Hashka for listening. Later, y'all.